Welcome to Open Mind UFO Radio. I am your host, Alejandro Rojas, and I have with me Jason Ghostbuster McClellan. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> that's Fat Albert. I didn't say Jason Fat Albert McClellan. No, you didn't, but that's what was in my mind. It's still pretty cool. <laughs> I liked it. So, and uh, well, well, we'll just talk. I talk it say Ghostbusters because Maureen went out to visit you in Boise. And I don't know if you noticed in spacing out uh, last week, I said Boise. Uh, I didn't notice that, but good job, dude. I'm yeah, proud of you. Thank because you. Because you taught me. That's how the locals say it. That's so right. that's how I said it. Uh, I didn't see any. I never. I don't read the comments often in YouTube. And for people out there, I don't look at the comments m- much for two reasons. One, I'm too busy. I mean, I can't be out there interacting because I'm writing stories and everything. I'd rather get you guys more news and go interact on, on, you know, social media or whatever. Two, uh, you know, a lot of times it gives me a lot of heartache. And, of course, we talk with Lee about this because he's always ranting about <laughs> comments on That's stories right. and everything when he comes on. So, you know, because there's a lot of jerk-off trollers out there who just are trying to push buttons and stuff like that. But uh, thank you to all those who do make kind and and, and intelligent comments, because there are many of you, and we certainly very much appreciate that. But um, how I got off on that tangent. Nobody commented to tell you uh, congratulations. You pronounced Boise correctly. Right, right, right. But speaking of Boise, Maureen went out to visit you this weekend, and you guys went ghost hunting. And maybe we you could did. tell us a little bit about that. Sure. It was a special ghost hunt because it happened to be on friday the 13th so it was extra spooky and it's at a place that's supposed to be haunted anyway it's the old old state penitentiary here in in boise idaho um lots of people died during their stay there um various suicides and and uh shankings and then uh executions at the old gallows both inside and outside they had both inside and outside gallows so Lots of people died there, lots of interesting stories. So went with this group for an interesting ghost hunt on Friday the 13th. And Alejandro, some interesting stuff happened. Yeah. I mean, ghost hunts can be kind of boring, but uh, yeah, no, there were some interesting things here and there with doors visibly being seen opening and closing, big heavy steel doors, like opening and slamming shut on Yeah, their, explain on that. That's cool. Okay, so we were in a uh, one of the cell blocks with our little group and this pair of women were looking out a, a window across the courtyard to over toward uh, maximum security and this heavy metal door they observed it open by itself and then slam shut and everybody heard this and that's when they told us what what they observed so the people leading our group took off um, from our cell block and went over to investigate they went inside 
um, first they radioed to their head people to find out, make sure there wasn't any groups over in that building at the time. There wasn't, so they went over to check out this room, and when they went in, they heard footsteps for themselves, like strong footsteps. They went around the entire building. There was nobody in there. So when they came back out, they thought, hmm, well, maybe the wind is blowing this door closed, but they felt it, huge steel door, and the wind wasn't really blowing that much. But they pushed the door all the way open and left it there and watched it for a while. N- didn't move at all. Um, so they started walking away. They left the door open. They started walking away. So they were not facing the door at this time. But everybody in our group, staring out the window, was watching this door as they walked away. And the door, just really hard, did this huge slam and slammed shut behind him. It was pretty awesome to watch. Wow, crazy. Yeah, so all of you got to see that door slam shut behind him. Yeah, it was, it was fun. There were some other things, interesting rumbles and some possible EVPs and uh, some spikes on the EMF meter. So wow. all in all, it was a very entertaining night. Cool. That'll be cool if you get some EVPs. And I know we focus on UFOs, but if you get some EVPs, we'll play them on the show. That's right, because we don't Whoa. really know much about EVPs. They could be extraterrestrial communication. So why not? Could be. Yeah, good point. Very good point. All right, so thank you for the Ghostbuster report, Jason. Uh, a little bit about our guest. I, I told you all we would have the twin brothers uh, related to the Allagash case. I hope you all enjoyed uh, last week's uh, uh, interview with Jim Wiener. Now, the interviews start off kind of abruptly because... You know, they were Skype interviews taken for video, and we're going to edit together interviews with uh, with Jim Weider, Jack Weiner, those are the two twin brothers, and Chuck Foltz, who was speaking at the UFO Congress about the Allagash incident. And we're going to put a video eventually online uh, on YouTube together going over the incident because it's such a cool case and so important. But uh, we had Jim Weiner, who usually uh, joined Chuck, Fultz, uh, doing talks on uh, lectures on the incident, but Jim also has back problems and health issues that he talked about, you know, in the show, which were, is so coincidental and so interesting that that, you know, found him getting his way to John Mack and, and all of these UFO researchers. But uh, that also now is starting to uh, hamper his ability to travel and go to conferences, so he couldn't make it to the Congress. Um, but his twin brother jack has had health issues for a long time and he also he's really i think he said he only went to maybe one ufo conference because his health issues don't allow him to travel so luckily we were able to get him on video uh and also do this audio interview so i want to share with you the audio interview today and it's essentially talking about the same topics or subjects um and incidents for the most part not completely as as Jim, his brother, however, from his perspective. And these guys are cool. I hope you found that with Jim. If you know Chuck uh, or were at the UFO Congress, you know that of him. They're just cool down-to-earth people, so it's so fun to listen to them. Uh, they're Boston guys, so they got this Boston accent. But they're just straightforward, regular guys. And so I think hearing it from their mouth is interesting. And the differences in perspective. Uh, for the most part, they remember this, the incident similarly, but just like any group of people witnessing something they they remember different aspects of different things and not only that as you heard with jim last week their artwork changed they were all artists and uh they completely changed after this incident so we'll hear from jack's 
himself on how his artwork changed and how it changed his life. He also shares some really interesting, at least one interesting uh, incident that happened afterwards that uh, he and Chuck experienced, uh, which is really weird. So some really cool stuff. I think these interviews to me are terribly interesting, and I hope you find them uh, interesting as well. Uh, For me, they were so easy to sit down and, and listen to for an hour each and, and you know time flies by you're like wow uh, just because it's such interesting uh, stuff and they tell the story so well so we'll be listening to Ch- to, to Jack in just a minute here uh, his side of the story uh, with the Allagash abductions and just to catch you up just in case this is your first podcast uh, that you've listened to with, with us or you didn't get to listen to last week uh, the Allagash abductions took place in 1976 Incidentally, the year after the Travis Walton abduction experiences, but um, they uh, were these four guys who uh, in, decided to go take this kayak trip in Maine in an area called the Allagash, and uh, they had seen a UFO one night. Uh, the uh, soon uh, a night after, I think uh, maybe it was a couple nights after, they saw this thing up close and personal, and uh, had a harrowing experience with it. Uh, ended up having some missing time later on due to nightmares. They they got some regression done and uh, some. They all had very similar things that they remembered independently. Um, but as you'll hear with Jack, they remembered different stuff. So really cool. So you hear uh, more about that in a minute. But before we do that, as usual, Jason and I like to share the UFO news of the week. And there's some really cool news. That came, uh, that happened this last week. And so we'll let Jason start off. What story do you want to talk about, buddy? I'm going to talk about something that, uh, you know, is a, a mini, mini trend here. And that's the way the news works. You know, if you watch mainstream news, sometimes there's a big story that comes out on a certain topic. And all of a sudden, uh, it seems like there are lots of stories about that same topic. And you think it, why? Why is this happening like with plane crashes and things? Or, wow, more mm-hmm. planes are crashing now. The reality is there are always that number of plane crashes, but that's been what's been making headlines lately, so they kind of focus on that topic. And that's what we're seeing right now, I think, with uh, a lot of UFOs being captured on newscasts. And we see this come yeah. in, in, in trends. It comes and goes. But that's another trend right now, UFOs caught during live newscasts. Um, and these are pretty silly. Some are, are hoaxes for whatever reason. But there's one Alejandro, and I want to hear your opinion on this, but uh, there was one last week that was caught on camera during an Oklahoma City newscast. Now, this uh, they were playing a, a, a video in the background from one of their, their sky cams, and there's just this kind of bright dot that glides through the sky very quickly, but it, it moves all the way across the, the frame, and uh, really interesting. It doesn't deviate at all. It almost looks like... The, the flight path of this thing looks like you would expect a an airplane on a time-lapse camera coming in for landing at an airport. But this is not a time-lapse video. The way this thing looks on the camera is very strange. The, the uh, news station did. They saw it. They didn't see it at the time that uh, the live broadcast was happening. But they did post later the video on their website, a 13-second video. And you see this thing very clearly. Um, kind of moving through the sky. Now, Alejandro, what they did was after they published this video, they went and spoke to um, people at a local college. And these experts, whoever they spoke to at this college, 
um, very quickly wrote it off as being a like a pea-sized meteorite or space debris. And I'm not an expert, and I'm not going to claim to be. But we see a lot of these videos with things going through the sky and a lot of videos of meteorites and space junk. And that's not what this looks like. You know, those you see, you know, fiery tails, you see debris burning off of this thing. And as we see this going down, you know, there, there's no apparent impact. And some can argue that you even see it kind of slow down and change tra trajectory when it gets closer to the ground. Um, but I think this is an interesting video. It's potentially, there's a potential that it could simply be a bug. But the thing that makes me think that it's probably not a bug is it seems to maintain its uh, illumination throughout the entire uh, course of its flight. It doesn't change in brightness at all, um, and then it has a really interesting behavior when it gets close to the ground. It doesn't look like it impacts or anything. So I like this video, Alejandro. It's fun. Yeah, I like it too. I think it's really interesting, and I have not um... – you know, personally, I don't feel like I, I know what it is for certain. Um, I didn't know about them talking to the college, so that's really interesting. And I agree with you. I kind of was thinking it could possibly be, um, you know, a meteorite or something or, or possibly a bug. But there's problems with both of those theories, like you said. I mean, if you look at the video, it's coming in at a very low trajectory. Uh, and it doesn't, of course, we look at meteorite videos all the time and it doesn't look like that at all i mean it doesn't seem to have a tail it's kind of a streak but it seems that's more related to it moving fast uh, across the screen um like you said it's not a time lapse and surprisingly you know mark d'antonio uh mufon's uh photo analyst expert said he thinks it's a time lapse because he thinks there are frame drops i suggested and i haven't followed up to see what his comment was on this edit the camera could be low frames per second which could be making it look like it's always it's possible a, and yeah. that, that i mean that's what a lot of these videos get put together but we have other things for reference in this video you see cars exactly. driving in the parking lot that's why it's not time lapse at the appropriate speed yeah. so it is not time lapse in my opinion yeah uh, you exactly the cars are moving at typical speed and you know, video cams that the news goes to for traffic are real time. They're not time lapse. Right. You know, they'll do time lapse for in and outs. You know, for for to look cool, so it looks really neat. But this isn't. This the cars are moving in regular speed. So if anything, it's it's very few frames per second, which right. those cameras do sometimes to save you memory. Have multiple items in the video to to look at to see that. I mean, you see cars yeah. driving in the parking lot, and you see cars driving on the street. Yeah, so, I agree. And, and they're both smooth motion. It's mm -hmm. not, you know, kind of blurry, jittery because they're missing frames. I mean, it looks like a real-time video to me. Mm -hmm. And uh, with uh -huh. the thing that, uh, you know, seems to eliminate the, the, the likelihood of something coming from space, something that would uh, typically come from space, you know, like a space junk or a meteorite, this thing appears, and it's hard to tell with the camera, but it appears to be just white. That's really the only color we see. Whereas with other things entering the atmosphere very quickly, and uh, based on their composition, they burn different colors. You usually see you know, bright orange fireballs or things burning green or other colors because of their elements. This is just a white light moving through the sky. Yeah. I also saw in the forum, you know, very quickly, uh, the director of investigations for MUFON, he felt, uh, Steve Hudgens, that it was a bug. 
um, and which is an, a possibility. And even mm-hmm. in the story, we draw the similarity mm-hmm. between it and the drone footage, uh, which most likely was a bug, you know, from uh, last week. But the problem with that is, like you said, it maintained its luminosity throughout the video, and we've seen bug videos, and usually they fade. Uh, they're in the spotlight for a minute, as and while they're in the spotlight, they look like a bright white object as they zoom across. But usually, once they get out of the spotlight, you know they fade. Now his argument is that this this area is well lit. There's lights all over the place, and this thing is probably getting lit from those things. Um, I guess it's a possibility, but it just doesn't all. It doesn't look like it. It looks very different. It well, looks for it like to a be solid a bug, object. For it to be that size, yeah, it would need to be fairly close to the camera. Yeah. And, you know, bugs, they usually zip. You know, yeah. that's why we see the things that people think are rods and other, you know, right. like erratic flight behavior. This thing is just a very slow, straight movement across the sky, not like a typical bug flight path. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't It doesn't look like the bug videos yeah. uh, that but we who knows? usually see. That's why I like this video. It, yeah. to me, is a truly unknown. Although the problem with when it gets close to the ground, I think we can't tell because they... Go, they change cameras, and when they do it, they fade. Uh, it's a dissolve from the city to the people. Yep, that's and, right. And uh, so you get a lot of weird-looking things because then you get uh, some of the white objects from the next screen coming in, and so it can look weird when it's not. So uh, it's really hard to tell there, if, it, if I think, if it really does something different at the end because of that dissolve. But yeah, I think it's a great video. I'm excited about this one. I think it's really cool. And I think it's really cool that they posted it and, and said, hey, did we catch a UFO on camera? So um, yeah, I don't think it's as easily dismissible as uh, some of the other videos we've seen on news things lately. Yeah, that's right. I do think this one is a, is is worthy of uh, a second look if people haven't uh, looked at it more than once. And I do think it's worthy of getting other expert opinions you know beyond the uh, people at the the local uh, university or u- local college they spoke with because again i'm not claiming to be an expert but mm-hmm. uh, you and i have seen many videos of meteorites and other space junk and this is completely different so yeah it looks different than anything else we've seen so yep. cool stuff of course there's a big story uh some of you may be aware obama talking with jimmy kimmel about ufos uh but before we get to that i want to ask about one of the stories you wrote real quick because i think this is kind of a big deal and we'll try to cover this i guess fairly quickly but uh the possibility of sea life on enceladus is that enceladus enceladus yep yeah what'd they find so this is something that they've been looking at for many years now. There's been evidence that there are, you know, these geyser plumes shooting off of uh, Saturn's moon Enceladus. And it's got this, this icy crust like a lot of moons do, but they saw water vapor being spewed out by these geysers. And what teams were able to do is collect some of this stuff um, and analyze what these geysers were actually spewing. Well, they, so they used the cosmic dust analyzer aboard the Cassini spacecraft, and they found out that the spray contains ice crystals and fine silica dust. So scientists uh, did a bunch of experiments and found out that the only way that this particular mixture uh, could be created was um, through uh, hydrothermal vents, basically, at the bottom of the ocean. 
or that's that's uh, what it, what they compared it to here on Earth. They found those same conditions only in these deep hydrothermal vents um, at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. And down there, they find all sorts of weird, creepy-looking life that uh, thrives without any sunlight, you know, super far from the surface. So they're saying that's most likely what exists on this moon, making it extremely likely that there is a host of life there um, because the water in the sea that exists on this moon would be warm enough to sustain life. Cool, huh? That's really wild, the warm water uh, on this moon. Um, that. Uh that's pretty exciting, I think. It's, yeah, it's really exciting, and there are cause now more moons in our solar system that have these uh, subsurface oceans. So I think that's rapidly becoming the norm. And again, with astrobiologists and their search for life, they always look for life as we know it. And what is life as we know it need? Well, water. You find water, you're going to find life. So. And it's funny. And these stories, like this story, you know, we had talked about how there's more and more evidence of of life out there, and uh, even from mainstream science. And uh, we talk about how that keeps escalating. And uh, we get like this story, which is something neither of us, I think, could have predicted even a couple months ago when we talked about this. Uh, and so it, it's even coming from areas which which we never would have thought of. That's right. And as we've said before, I, I think it's just kind of spiraling, spiraling out of control from here. It's just going to, to keep coming at a, at a more accelerated pace, all of this mm -hmm. news, because, again, all of these tools out there um, doing their investigations of certain planets and, you know, all the, the grand hopes that uh, NASA has and, and other countries to get to these different bodies to better explore these worlds we really don't know anything about that's all happening but again private space is going crazy too so yeah things yep. are looking good for my bet alejandro we're Look. finding them we're finding them in the next two years looking pretty good looking pretty good you might yep. be winning <laughs> so and obama says that the government's under control of aliens so Jimmy Kimmel, and I was going to write about it, but I didn't, where I read on an L.A. Times thing where Kimmel threatened that he was going to ask Obama about aliens like he did with Clinton, and sure enough, he did it. So he had Obama on the other day, and uh, just like he did when he had uh, you know, former President Clinton on, he said, the first thing I would do if I were president uh, is to race over and ask about Area 51 and aliens. And Obama said, that's why you're never going to be president. And he laughed. And of course, Kimmel says, oh, well, there's many reasons I'm not going to be president, but that's one of them. So, um, so he, he said, you know, is, is that what you did? And, um, uh, Obama said that, uh, the aliens won't let it happen. They won't let you reveal all of their secrets because they uh, exercise strict control over us. So Kimmel laughed and Obama's smiling and laughing. And uh, so Kimmel told him, this is kind of funny that, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to look at your facial expressions and examine everything you say uh, here. And Obama says, well, I can't reveal anything. And it makes it seem like he saw, you know, Ben Hansen's uh, review of, of Clinton work. Ben Hansen did that. Watch his face and his movements. And Ben Hansen determined Clinton might be hiding something. Yeah, I think it was a little nod there to Ben. Yeah. So, and then Kimmel uh, referenced that. He said, oh, really, you know, to the can't reveal everything because Clinton was here. And he said he did go look into it and there was nothing to it. And Obama said, well, that's what we're instructed to say. 
So it was a really funny moment. Um, you know, uh, I I don't know why I feel a bit apologetic saying this because there's a lot of people that get so excited about stuff like this. But I have the feeling, you know, being uh, an Obama, I'll admit it, I'm an Obama fan myself, and I think he has this great sense of humor, and he really cracks me up. He's hilarious. I This made me laugh because I think it just fits with his sense of humor. He's just joking with Kimmel. He's making Kimmel laugh. Uh, it was a really funny moment. Uh, but I don't believe, and I, I wrote in the story a bunch of evidence of, uh, you know, not only other people uh, presidents joking about UFOs, but uh, Obama joking about UFOs because he's done it before. But Obama seems to have absolutely no interest in UFOs and aliens uh, except for to make some jokes about him. And I think this was just jokes. But uh, what do you think? That seems about right. You know, it's fitting with his character. It, like you pointed out, he's done it before. Um, yeah, and he's never really demonstrated any interest at all in the subject other than using it for jokes. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it is late night TV, and you know people like to say that you know there's there's truth in every a bit of truth in every lie. So many people are are reading a lot into these comments as as some secretive a- admitting the truth, but uh, I I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, neither do because, I. Because of his lack of interest in the subject or apparent lack of interest. Um, there's no reason for then the secret people with all of the the secret information to even bother uh, giving him any of that information because they're not going to look for it, so they're not going to fill him in. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a late night uh, talk show. You can take what what you want from it. I don't think he was being serious at all. But right. that's just me. It'd be cool yeah. if he was, but then again, not cool because. Who wants to know that uh, we're actually controlled by aliens? Yeah, it's kind of scary. So people I like to can think check aliens the... are nice. Yeah, and if they're maybe they're controlling us to do nice things, we're, they're not controlling us to save our planet. I mean, we're tearing the place apart. So yeah, who? Yeah, so uh, uh, really, I, but it was fun to to look at. Uh, of course, when Jason and I write our stories, we try to be journalistic and unbiased and just share the information with you. And certainly, we, we appreciate everybody has their own opinion, and we absolutely respect that uh, and that people have varying opinions. But uh, you should read our story because I do share a lot of information, some more information about Obama's other comments. Uh, you can also see President Clinton's comments. Uh, you can also see... Uh, you know, a similar situation that's debated uh, where Ronald Reagan was maybe joking about ETs. It seems like he was. He he was joking with Steven Spielberg. Spielberg says he was joking, but some UFO researchers believe he wasn't. You could read about that. So read about all this and then uh, make up your decision for yourself. And, of course, watch the videos because the comments without the videos can really be taken out of context. Uh, the other thing which I think is fun is, you know, all this talk about Area 51. And, again, it's just kind of mind-blowing to think that we had we were able to uh, spend a little bit of time with Bob Lazar, who started all the Area 51 stuff. It's just interesting that this one guy and his, his claims has created such a big fervor uh, about Area 51 and everything. And here we go. We have the president, not the first time the president uh, talked about Area 51 and aliens. It's such a normal topic of conversation now and a normal topic in movies and television. And yeah. it, it always has been. That's the funny thing. Like, yeah. ever since Bob was 
are. It's common knowledge. But fortunately, last year, last year it all came out, Alejandro, all the secrets. The last year? Yes, that Area 51 exists because we didn't know, right? Yeah. We were kept in the dark. Everybody knew, and it's so funny. Yeah, it's really funny. So and, and up until last year, when the you know the Area 51 is finally you know the name uh, yeah. being included in the documents, uh, there are a lot of people who didn't believe it existed just because of Bob Lazar and his uh, attaching the ET stuff with it. They thought it was all made up, but uh, now they know it was real. And well, I think it makes a lot people of a lot think, of people still think they, they still don't know. Yeah. You know, unless they follow the news or, or were actually paying attention when yeah. I was making headlines, many people still think that Area 51 is just a myth. Yeah, true. But anyways, go check that out. Uh, some people, you know, asked, and we've got links all over the place to where you could get the DVD, the full DVD. Uh, in that story, I have a small clip of the Bob Lazar talk, so you can see that. But uh, you'll definitely, I think, want to check that out, George Knapp, uh, his presentation Prior to Bob Lazar and then watch Bob Lazar uh, because it's pretty interesting uh, stuff there and a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing of him uh, doing a Q&A. So exciting stuff. That's the news. Anything else you wanted to mention there, Big J? No, sir. That's it for me. All right. Well, thank you, as usual, for joining us and sharing us your ghost uh, hunt info, and we look forward to hearing if there are any other results. Hey, hey, hey. All right. Well, you're a very skinny guy, so uh, but it's, so it's ironic to call you fat. But uh, thank you very much, Fat Jason. My pleasure. All right. So let's go ahead and hear uh, Jack Weiner and his side of the story of the Allagash abductions. So I guess to start off, we'll go all the way to um, the night of, of when it all happened. And we'll start with... Uh, when you first saw the object over the lake, um, what your impressions were? What did you What did you see? Well, the first thing that we saw uh, was this: the bright, the object itself was rising out of the forest, and it was about two hundred, maybe two hundred and fifty yards away. And uh, as soon as as soon as I saw it, uh, I knew it was something strange. It, it, for one thing, it didn't make any sound at all. Nothing, not a buzz, not a hum. Absolutely soundless. And it was large. I mean, this I would I would uh, estimate that it was probably. Uh, I, I remember thinking that it was. As big in diameter as a tractor trailer truck is long, whatever that is, 60, 70 feet, something like that. It wasn't small. It was fairly large. And I remember thinking, well, how could something like that not make any sound? So we watched it. The four of us were watching it, and it was rising up out of the forest very slowly until it uh, the whole thing was in view, and then it just stopped and hovered above the trees. And it still wasn't making any sound, and uh, it was definitely not an airplane. But we couldn't figure out what it was at first. Uh, we thought maybe it was a helicopter because it was hovering. 
but it didn't make any sound. And it didn't have the kind of lights that a helicopter has. I mean, we've all seen helicopters at night. We know what they look like and sound like. This wasn't anything like that. So then we thought, well, maybe it's a balloon. You know, somebody's fooling around with a balloon, a rather big balloon, but it's possible. So we watched it for a few more minutes, and we noticed that it didn't move at all. It was just stationary in that place. So we said, well, it can't be a balloon because balloons kind of float around a little bit. They can't just be stuck in a place. Even if they're tied down, a wind will blow it around. So we discounted the balloon. And so we had no balloon, no helicopter, no airplane. We couldn't figure out what it was. But uh, And that's when we said, well... Uh, maybe it's swamp gas. That's what we thought. It was swamp gas because here we were in a swamp. But the thing itself wasn't in the swamp. It was over the tree, the trees away from the swamp. So, but we said, well, it's, it's probably swamp gas. So we watched it for a few more minutes. And then Charlie Foltz said, well, you know, maybe it's a UFO. And we were like, wow, you know, it does kind of look like that thing we saw the other night from uh, Mud Brook campsite. And uh, so we said, oh, yeah, maybe it's a UFO. So Charlie said, well, I'll signal it with this flashlight. He picked up a flashlight and signaled um, an SOS, I think he said it was. I, I didn't know what it was until afterwards because I don't know Morse code. But Charlie does. And as soon as he did that, Alejandro, I mean, the second he blinked that light at it, it just started moving towards us. Quietly, completely silent, but it was definitely seemed to be responding to that signal. So the four of us are sitting in the canoe and we said, oh, you know, that uh, we got a response from this thing. Now what do we do? So we kind of... Um, spent a few seconds basically saying, well, let's just sit here and wait and see what happens. Just sit tight. So it was coming right towards the, the edge of the lake. And um, when it got over the water, we noticed that it was it had this huge reflection in the water, which one would expect, right? So we said, oh, you know, yeah. You know, this, this thing is definitely really there because it's reflecting in the water. So at that point, it was maybe not even 50 yards away from us, Alejandro, not even that. And uh, it was definitely coming down in altitude. It was headed right for us. So uh, all of a sudden, this beam came out of it which was very very strange because it wasn't a light you know like light travels at what 800 and uh, 800,000 miles a, a second and so when you turn on a light it's instantaneous this thing wasn't like that at all Alejandro it, it was like this cone like a cone of light that came out of it but it it like lowered 
you could see the bottom of this cone and it just kind of lowered itself down to the water. It was weird. And once we saw that, it was like, uh oh, uh, this is not normal. This thing is definitely not a familiar thing because light doesn't do that. So at that point, uh, we said, okay, let's go to shore because obviously we're dealing with something here that um, we don't want to be out in the middle of a swamp trying to deal with it because if we fall into the water, we're probably drowned. It was full of uh, submerged branches and tree stumps, that kind of thing, you know. So we didn't want to wind up in the water. And the canoe was overloaded with four guys in our fishing gear. So it wasn't like, you know, we could really kind of tear out of there and stuff. So we decided, okay, um, maybe we should go back to shore. And if this thing keeps chasing us down, at least we're on solid ground when it gets to us. So we started, we said, okay, uh, we turned the canoe back towards our campsite and I could plainly see the campfire was still burning really brightly because before we went out fishing we had built this huge fire which we've come under fire for building such a huge fire in a public campground and then leaving it to go fishing but you know uh, whatever uh, we could see the campfire across the lake plainly it was gigantic so we started paddling towards the the campsite and as we were going heading towards shore i kept looking over my shoulder to see where this thing was and it was really weird alejandro like this thing was maybe 25, 30 yards behind us with this beam of light coming across the water right towards us. And it, I turned around and I saw that. I did a couple paddles with my hand out the side of the canoe. I looked back again, and this time it was like it jumped in a second. It was like all of a sudden it was right there behind us. It seemed to have just gotten there in a flash. And I could see that the beam of light was, I mean, it was going to get us. There was no outrunning this thing. And, and in my mind, I said to myself, yeah, we're not going to make it. We're not going to make it to shore. Uh, this thing is right there. Uh, the next thing I remembered was that the canoe was completely surrounded in this kind of tube or it was it wasn't like a tube but it was like a hollow column of this light that was coming out of this thing but it was different than that Alejandro it wasn't it wasn't just light like a flashlight it it had this weird quality to it that was it's hard to describe but it was very, very strange. It was definitely affecting the space around our canoe. And the last thing I remembered um, was looking up straight up and this thing was right above us. I mean, it was this huge, huge, huge orangish yellow 
ball of bright, bright light and this like bluish beam cone or something around us. And then all of a sudden we were on the shore. The next thing I remembered was we, we got to the campsite. Uh, but we were, I'll tell you something, Alejandro. When we were paddling towards the canoe, it, everything seemed, you know, like you would think. You know, we were excited. We were adrenaline going and stuff. But when we got to the shore, we were all like half asleep. And we, we just stood there staring at this thing, which at that point was hovering over the water. And it was sitting on this kind of weird beam. Can you see that? That's exactly what it looked like. It was hovering over the water and there was this bluish beam underneath it like that. And it just hung there completely silent. You can imagine Alejandro, this thing's the size of a truck. And it's right there completely silent. And I remember standing on the beach just staring at this thing. And I was thinking, you know, uh, this is, I don't know what to think. Except I couldn't take my eyes off it. I wanted to see. I kept thinking, i got to see this thing so I can remember what it looks like. But every time I looked at it directly, it was like somebody grabbed me by my stomach and tried to lift me up by my stomach. And, and it was like, oh, boy, you know, I don't like that. So I would look away. But then I would think, I, I have to look at this thing. I have to see it. And so I'd look at it again and it just hung there like that. And that was, I don't even remember what the other guys were doing at that time. It was as if, you know, I was alone or something. And, uh, and it just hung there for several minutes, at least three or four minutes at least. And then the, the beam of light that was underneath it just kind of rose up into it. The same way it came out, it just kind of, it's like an elevator or something, just up into it, and then it started moving away slowly back across the lake, again, not making a sound, nothing. And when it got towards the other shore of the lake, it started rising up into the air, and it was weird because it looked like, like it, um, like it would blink out, like it was there and all of a sudden it, there was nothing. And it was like, whoa, what was that? And then it would reappear, but further up in a higher elevation. So it seemed to be making these weird jumps up into the sky. And uh, oh, the other detail that I almost forgot was while it was doing that, that beam that was coming down from it, was now pointing up at an angle. And it seemed to be following that, like it would shoot this beam out and then all of a sudden it would just disappear but reappear higher. And it did that uh, two or three times until it was way, way, it was really high and then it just shot into the stars. No sound, no 
vapor trail, no sonic boom, nothing. But I'll tell you, Alejandro, that thing was so fast. It was like that fast. It went from where we were watching it to the stars and was gone. And the four of us were just left there, standing there in shock, basically. And uh, it was weird because you would think that four artists would be up all night discussing this, you know, drawing pictures of it, whatever. But we didn't do that at all. I think we were in shock because all we did was walk back silently to the picnic table that was at the campsite. And we sat down and I recall just saying, boy, I feel really tired. I, I got to go to sleep. And uh, Jim was sitting next to me and he said the same thing. He was like, man, I am exhausted. But we didn't really talk about the thing. It was weird. You think that would be obviously the main topic of discussion. We were just, oh, man, I'm really tired. I, I, I got to go to sleep. Well, Charlie wandered over to where the campfire was, and he was poking at it with a stick. And he went, hey, guys, the fire's out. Should we build another fire? And we're like, nah, heck with it. Going to sleep anyway. And we didn't even think. Not one of us sat back and said, holy mackerel, how'd the fire go out so fast? I mean, we just followed it. Three minutes ago, we were out in the canoe. There's the thing. There's the fire. It's huge. It only took us, it didn't take us more than five or ten minutes, it seemed, to get back to shore. But none of us connected, you know, well, what happened to the big fire we just saw five minutes ago? That didn't make sense, but we didn't think about it until the next day, actually, we talked about that. But that was another weird thing. And the four of us were just spent. I mean, it was like, we didn't stay up and discuss it, nothing. We just like, in fact, I fell asleep on the, on the, uh, leaning on the top of the table, the picnic table. I didn't even make it to my sleeping bag. I just like put my head down and woke up the next morning. It was like, what the heck? And then the next morning, we didn't even talk about it really. We didn't say anything. Uh, we just said, oh, okay, uh, let's time to leave. I don't even remember much of it. And we all got in a canoe and and uh, paddled away in the canoe. And then I don't know how long afterwards we found ourselves hung up on, on some branches at the, on the shore of the lake. And it was that kind of like woke us up. We were like, wait a second, you know, how did we get here? What's going on? What are we doing in the canoe? And where's our stuff? And so we're like, well, okay, uh, we, we must have left the canoe back at the other campsite. But none of us discussed, well, why would we do that? You know, it was like, oh, okay, well, I guess we'll have to go back and get the stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah, right. We just kind of took off from the campsite. I, I, you know, when I look back at the time, we weren't even thinking about anything really obviously when i look back at it we were in shock deep shock or something i don't know i mean that's the only way i can describe it but once we came back to our senses that's when we started that's when i think 
So, in fact, it was at that moment when we were hung up in the bushes in the canoe where I think uh, Jim said, hey, do you guys remember seeing that thing last night? And we were like, oh, yeah, right, that thing. That thing, you know, yeah, I remember that. And that's then we started talking about it like, wow, that was a UFO or something, wasn't it, you know? And, uh, and so... That was when we really started uh, to remember the thing. But we didn't remember any abduction or anything. We just remembered being chased across the lake by this thing. And and then it went away. You know, it uh, was there for a few minutes hovering. Then it went away. We didn't think we were abducted at all. But none of us, for some reason, we blocked out the whole fire thing. We didn't even, it was like, you know, it was so obvious, but we didn't even discuss it. So later then, um, you began having nightmares, um, yeah. you and your brother. Um, yeah. So about when did that happen, and what do you remember? Well, that happened about uh, the end of the 1980s. It was about uh, 87, I think, 86 or 87. I started having these horrible nightmares. And uh, they were really, really intense. You know, like most people have nightmares or something. They wake up, they go, oh, wow, that was a intense nightmare. You know, but then you go on with your day. You don't even remember it after, you know, a couple hours at work. But this dream was like, wow, you know, this is really heavy. I, it was like just totally freaking me out. And I told Mary about it. And uh, but she was the only one I would discuss it with at the time because I thought it was just bad dreams. But I kept, yeah, Mary's my wife, and uh, the problem was is that they kept recurring over and over again, and it, it was the same intense dream of these non-human entities doing things to me and. I could see their faces and stuff, and it was just totally freaking me out. So, you know, I was dealing with it. I was going to work and stuff like that, and I just figured, oh, boy, you know, I don't know what's what this is all about. And then uh, I was talking to Jim, and he was te he told me I he was having problems with his uh, epilepsy. And I was asking him, you know, how he was doing and stuff, because we're real close. And he said, well, you know, I'm not doing good because I can't sleep. And so I was like, well, you know, I mean, does epilepsy do that? And he said, well, I don't know, but I've been having these horrible nightmares. And I was like, really? What kind of nightmares? And he was describing the exact same thing that I was having nightmares about. And so and he, Jim even was, was so freaked out by these nightmares that he was locking padlocking his room at night to keep him out of his room because he thought these dreams were more than dreams and so that's how freaked out jim was he was actually padlocking his room at night of course didn't stop him well the dreams that we were both having it turned out were um lying on our backs and these non-human entities 
hovering around with uh, bright lights behind them and um, putting their faces like right in your right in my face like and you know like this far away and I could uh, you know just looking at these black void voidless eyes or something and uh, it was just terrifying totally terrifying and in my dreams and Jim's both our dreams we were seeing um, these non-human entities uh, hovering over each other you know like I was watching them hovering over Jim he was watching them hovering over me and it was just too bizarre, you know. Jim and I were like, Jesus, you know, what the heck is this all about? And uh, we didn't even—I didn't even think about the Allagash. I didn't think there was any connection, because in my mind, I didn't remember being abducted or anything on the Allagash. Although there was some, you know, missing time, obviously. But I didn't—I wasn't thinking that, you know, this is alien stuff. And. Uh, and then Jim uh, called me up one time and said, hey, do you, have you ever heard of a guy named uh, Stryber? And I said, no, no, I never have. Why? And he said, well, somebody just gave me a book about this guy Stryber who wrote about alien abductions. And he said, you know, it really rings a bell, Jack. It really, you know, I think there's something to this. And it might be related to the Allagash. So I was like, well, you know, that's neither here nor there. I hadn't read the book. So I was like, well, I, I don't know. I don't know about that. And uh, and that was pretty much it. You know, we didn't really go out of our I didn't go out of my way to talk to an investigator or anything like that. I just kind of dealt with it. And then uh Jim called one day and said, uh, hey, I ran into this guy named Ray Fowler, who is a UFO investigator, and I met him at a, at a lecture he was giving, and I told him the story of the Allagash, and he seems really interested in investigating that, but you're going to have to, you know, uh, reveal your soul and the whole nine yards, so, you know, think it over. And so uh, I discussed it with my wife, Mary, and we said, well, you know, this is obviously bothering me a lot. So I want to get to the bottom of it. I want to see if it really has anything to do with the Allagash. And so we agreed to do uh, the investigation with Ray Fowler. And so he sent us these forms. You know, it was an official MUFON uh, form where you could uh, uh, report a UFO sighting or encounter or whatever. And we filled those out. It was several pages, a lot of uh, detailed descriptions, stuff like that, you know. And uh, about two weeks later, I got a phone call from Ray Fowler saying that he read my account on the, uh, the report form and he thought it was an interesting case, and he wanted to investigate it further if it was okay with me. And I said, well, yeah, 
I think it's okay. I really want to get to the bottom of this. And, you know, I mean, obviously we saw the thing that wasn't even in question, but what happened between that beam coming to the canoe and getting to shore was, oh, there was no explanation there. It was a blank space. And uh, these nightmares, I was hoping that maybe they would go away. So that's when Ray started his official investigation and uh, decided that he would use uh, or try uh, deep hypnosis. And uh, what's that called? Uh, relaxation. Um, yes, regression hypnosis and deep relaxation. And so we agreed to do that and he did us one by one. I believe he did Jim first and then he did me and then he did Charlie Fultz and then he did Chuck Rack last. And in the end, it, it wound up that I think he did me three times. I had to go back two more times for uh, to finish up some loose ends. And um, he did the other guys. I think he did Jim once, Charlie once, and he did uh, Chuck Rack twice. But uh, it was amazing. I I'll tell you, Alejandro, you know, these investigators, um, as you well know, being one, they take a lot of guff from people, you know. And uh, they're, they're, you know, they want people to believe that these investigators are a little wacky or they're unprofessional or, you know, but Ray wasn't like that at all. And neither was Tony. They were two of the most level headed uh, professional people I've ever run into. I, there's no way that they were joking around or anything. I mean, these guys were serious, serious stuff. And so... Uh, I think that really helped because having confidence in the person who's performing the hypnosis session and having confidence in Ray Fowler as being a normal, great guy allows you to open up because you trust them. I mean, mm -hmm. I trusted these guys. I still do. In fact, I would trust Ray Fowler with my life. I told him that. One time he called me up and asked if I could send him copies of some of the artwork that we did for him for this class he was teaching. And I said, Ray, uh, I'll just send the originals to you and you can send them back to me when you're done. And he said, well, geez, Jack, I don't expect you to send your original artwork. I mean, what if something happens to it? And I said, Ray, I would trust you with my life. My artwork is nothing. Don't worry about it. I'll send it to you. you. You know, use it for your classes when you're done back. But that's true. I mean, Ray Fowler and Tony, to me, my impression was that I could trust them with my life. And so... Uh, um, oh, I remembered a lot in the regression. I remembered that... Um, when the beam hit the canoe and I was looking up at it, that's when they got us somehow. That light thing was some type of transport beam or I don't know what you'd call it. 
But the next thing I remembered was under hypnosis was lying on my back, uh, only being able to move my eyes. I was like paralyzed, but I could move my eyes. And I recalled uh, looking towards my left and just out of the peripheral, peripheral, periphery of my vision, I could tell that the other three guys were in this room with me, but they were like immobile. They were just sitting on this like bench or something. It was something that came out of this wall or something. And that's all I could see, but I knew they were there. And I was thinking, you know, this, there's something really wrong here. And why aren't those guys helping me? What is with these guys? They're just sitting there doing nothing. And I'm over here paralyzed. What is going on? And um, I'm trying to figure out the space I was in, but it was impossible. It was so bright. It was this bright, bright space that I couldn't even see the walls. It was like a fog, but it wasn't fog. It was from these bright, bright lights. And then uh, the next thing I noticed were like these kind of hazy silhouette kind of things coming out of this haze towards me. And uh, there were three of them. There was one on each side and one at my feet. And when, when they got close to me, then I could see what was going on and they weren't human. They were obviously inhuman somethings, and they were just standing there looking at me, and uh, I was freaking out. I mean, I was wishing I could get up and run, but I couldn't move, so I, I knew that once I saw them, the next thing was in, like, they're going to gut me like a trout. I'm done. I don't know who these guys are, what they are, but I don't like it. And, and I don't trust them, and they're going to gut me like a trout. I'm done. And so you can imagine that kind of fear. You know, I mean, I'm fearing for my life here, and these three inhuman things are standing there looking at me. And then one of the one on my left side uh, takes me by my wrist, and they had these really weird hands that had only four digits. And their hands had like a like a crease down the middle in the back so that when they, they, they could have like their fingers, you know, like that or like that. And then this thing would like move and they could make their fingers do this. And it seemed I, I remember recalling uh, how dexterous they were and looking at these four digit hands, if that's what you want to call them. And I was thinking, oh my gosh, you know, that's amazing. How can they be so dexterous without a thumb? <laughs> so, <coughs> oh, excuse me. So I recalled that part of it. I was really focused on their hands because obviously I was worried about what they were going to do with them. And the other thing that I noticed that I was really focused on was their heads and their eyes, especially. They had these amazing, huge, kind of black 
black eyes or something. They weren't eyes like ours. They were, I don't know, like a lens. You know, Alejandro, when I think about it, I think they were wearing something, some kind of uh, protective something, you know, because it didn't look like flesh or organic stuff. It looked, you know, like glass or plastic or something. But um, they were huge and there was no nose and no mouth. And they had this like pointy kind of chin. And my impression was that there was this little slit down here at the bottom. But it didn't look like a mouth or anything. It was just tiny. So I don't know what that was all about. But that was one of the things I noticed. And they had no ears and no hair. They were kind of like this pale whitish. I wouldn't call them gray, but they weren't. You know, they didn't have blood or something. They weren't, you know, like we are. And the other thing I remembered was watching their elbows, like this part when they would move their arms and their hands. And I thought for <laughs> things you think of, I don't know why, but I remember thinking, uh, okay, okay, you know, I don't know what's going on with these guys, but if they're wearing a suit or something, it's going to have creases when they move, maybe. You know, like ours do when we move. And so for some reason, I focused on that part of their arms, and I kept looking at it, waiting for wrinkles or something to happen. But there weren't any. And I remember thinking, well, this just doesn't make sense. I mean, they're either wearing something or they're not. How could they, you know, it was weird. It was very uh, difficult to really... Uh, understand what the heck I was looking at and the other thing is is I never saw their feet mm. I never saw their feet for some reason if I did I don't remember what their feet were like or how many they had but <laughs> uh-huh that's right that's right we promised Ray that because he said before we went into the hypnotic regressions, he said, look, I don't want to waste my time because it's, it's expensive and it's time consuming. And if you guys are going to talk to each other after, you know, the, it's not going to, it's not going to, it's useless to do that. Why, why bother? So you have to promise me and agree not to discuss your sessions until I've done all of you guys and I get you all together at the end, and then we discuss what each other said. And we said, okay. I mean, we understand that. And so, uh, I wasn't really that astounded. I wasn't that astounded. I mean, it was all pretty much the same, you know, except, uh, you know, how people focus on different things, you know, and, uh, but, it, was, it wasn't like, oh, really, you know, because we were all there. We knew what happened. We just didn't know that part of it. But it didn't surprise us because it just, you know, it was definitely uh, answering some questions, especially about the missing time. So, I mean, at first... I mean, I have letters I've written, I wrote to Ray afterwards saying, you know, Jesus, Ray, 
you know, I can't believe this. It's, it's hard for me to believe. If I hadn't been there myself in the canoe and someone told me the story, I'd find it hard to believe. But I, I was there. I know it happened. But I don't know what to think about it yet. You know, this is, this is stuff that comes out of crazy people, not normal people. And um, he, his reaction was, uh, Jack, I totally understand. Um, it's hard to accept these things, but um, you have to because you're going to go on with the rest of your life. You've got to deal with it. But he said, don't, um, don't, what's the word, obsess, which he said, if you start obsessing on this stuff, it'll, it'll make you go crazy. And so I tried not to do that, but you can't not obsess on it, I found. It's something that, you know, it's on my mind 24-7. But what I decided was that instead of having it tear me down and, you know, ruin my psyche and stuff, I decided to deal with it creatively. And so I tried to do that. And one of the things that really helps was to meet other people that had a similar experience and talk to them. And that really helped finding out that, in fact, at the time, I thought we were the only ones, you know, who were abducted by aliens or something. I had no idea there were other people out there like that, except for one thing. Um, I remember back in the 1960s, a book came out about um, that couple in New Hampshire, Betty and Barney Hill, right. And I remember seeing that book laying around somewhere, and I picked it up and started reading the, the introduction, and I never got past that. I remember thinking, well, this is horseshit or something. I don't know. I don't know about the, abduct the aliens abducting people and stuff, and so I never read it. Until after uh, the hypno hypnotic regression and stuff. And uh, I was working in uh, a, a little shop up in uh, Mount Snow where I was uh, printing T-shirts for the tourists. And Chuck Rack came in the shop one day. I hadn't seen him in a long time since, since the regressions. And... Uh, or wait a second, was that before? I, I think it was after. He came in with a copy of uh, Stryber's book and said, hey, this is, this is, have you read this? And I was like, no, I haven't read it. And uh, it was kind of weird to find out that there are other people like us. That was a real shock. One of the things Chuck describes is when he spent the night at your house and he had a strange experience. And oh, yeah. uh, then he told you about it, and you said you had a, a similar experience. So could you explain that? Yeah. Well, you know, Charlie Fultz is a real good friend of ours. Uh, he's like a brother. And uh, he comes up every now and then, spends time. He helped Mary and I build our house when we were building it originally. And um, he comes up not so much now because he doesn't drive much because of his heart and stuff. But back then... He was a, a frequent visitor. He would come up and help Mary and mm -hmm. I do certain things. And one one of the times he was up uh, was in, uh, I think it was the early winter, because it was real cold, I remember. We had a real, real heavy frost. And uh, 
I woke up one morning and uh, I said, Mary, there's something wrong with my feet. There's something wrong with them. And she was like, what? And I showed her and my feet looked like they, um, just the bottoms, just the bottoms of my feet. All the skin was like burned or not crispy burned, but like frozen. And it was all chafy and, you know, coming off and stuff. And I said to Mary, you know, this doesn't look like athlete's feet or anything. It's not in my toes or this is weird. I don't know what this is. And uh, so we came down for breakfast. And I didn't mention it. You know, we just forgot about it, basically. And Charlie came down for breakfast that morning. And he, when he got to the table, he was obviously not himself. I mean, he, he seemed like he was in some kind of a funk, like his mind was somewhere else. And Mary and I both noticed it immediately. We said, Charlie, what the heck's wrong with you today? Would you have a bad night? And he said, you know, I had the most terrifying dream last night. And we were like, oh, really? What was it? And he told us about this dream that because he was sleeping downstairs on a on a mattress. And uh, he said, I had this dream that there was this bright light outside your door. And uh, that there were aliens or something came into the house and I went right through the door and was out in the snow. And uh, I was like, really? Geez, that's really intense, Charlie. Uh, what do you think? And he goes, I don't know, but check out my feet. And he showed us his feet and they were just like mine. They were all chafed and it looked like they were frozen or something. Like the skin had been obviously been traumatized, but they were just like my feet. And we were like, wait a second, you know. So we went outside and we were like, are there footprints out here or something? I, I don't remember if we saw any or not, but it was very, very strange. And it was obvious that it seemed more like a dream I mean, more, more real than a dream. And, uh, and so we discussed that for a while and, uh, we decided that, you know, they, they come back every now and then. That's what Ray told us. Cause, uh, after his investigation, I said, Ray, you know, what do I do with this? You know, I mean, I, I don't know what to do with this stuff now. It's the worms are out of the can. And he said, uh, well, just try and go on with your life and, and live your life, you know. Try not to dwell on it. But like I said before, that's possible. Impossible. And I think they've been back several times. In fact, I know they have. And uh, Ray said, you know, you guys, um, I, I don't want to scare you. And I hate to tell you this, but I got to be truthful, which he always was with us. He said, you know, they're going to come back because it seems to us and after this study that you guys have been labeled or something. You're tagged. And just like we tag wolves and dolphins or whatever, he said, you're tagged. And, and for some reason, they're going to follow you throughout your life. And he said, don't be surprised if they come back 
every mm-hmm. now and then to check up on you because that's what our research shows happens. And so he said, you know, I hate to leave that with you, but those are the facts. And um, and I believe they have been back. And uh, it's been a real amazing, amazing journey. Let me tell you, Alejandro. I'll tell you something. I don't usually tell people this. But I got to tell you this. The last time I was taken by whatever these things are, they're not you, they're not from here. They showed me an image of our galaxy, the whole galaxy. And it was a barred galaxy. You know what a barred galaxy is, right? Yeah, okay. It was a barred galaxy. And they showed me this section in this one arm of the galaxy where they said they illuminated this part and they said there are civilizations here, advanced, highly advanced civilizations on these star in these star systems. And they're pretty close to us. They're in the Orion Spur. They're not that far from us. And they showed them to me. And I remember looking at this thinking, well, that's not our galaxy. We don't have a barred galaxy. We have got one with a big ball in the middle, you know. So I don't understand this. But uh, beside that point, they told me, well, this is going to shock you, but I got to tell you. They told me that those civilizations represent advanced civilizations that get their energy from unconditional love. There I've said it. (laughs) That's what they told me. And I didn't understand what they meant. But this thing then that was communicating to me reached out and touched me. And I felt it. I mean, it was like, you know, the love you have for your wife or your mother or whatever, brothers, except amplified cajillions of times. It was as if everything in the universe that was capable of feeling love had focused it to me so that I could feel it and know what they were talking about. And yeah, I'm just, you know, I'm not a lovey-dovey person, Alejandro, you know, and, uh, and I'm certainly not capable of practicing unconditional love. I mean, everybody has baggage, but I felt it and it was real. And, and it said, after it did that, it told me that I was ready. Said, you're ready. And I said, I don't get it. I don't know what you're talking about. What am I ready for? And it answered, when the time comes, you'll know. And then they brought me back. I was back in my house after that. And I woke up that morning and my wife can attest, I was like shocked. In fact, when I woke up, I could still feel that that overwhelming energy that came from the, it made me cry. I woke up and I cried. Because I thought, my God, you know, I, how could something that profound exist? But it did, and I felt it. And ever since then, I've had a different uh, 
outlook on what's happening. I don't know why they told me this. I don't know why. But, you know, there's a lot of unanswered questions about this stuff, Alejandro. Maybe someday I'll, you know, I'll I'll know. (laughs) When the time comes, I'll know, you know, but. Or who knows? Or maybe they just mean a moment of unconditional love that you felt for your, you know, in your life. Uh, Who knows, huh? Well, you know, Alejandro, I think a little bit helps more than none, you know, and whoever we have unconditional love towards is a help. And, uh, you know, I try and keep that attitude for everyone that I meet and have to do deal with every day in, in my life. And and I try to do that. Uh, there's a couple people out there that, you know, they're, yeah, that um, my unloving behavior shows about but um it was it was a remarkable uh revelation in a way alejandro i'll tell you it was it changed me and and the thing is is uh i know i know at least i you know i think i know that we're not the only ones they showed me where in our galaxy these civilizations were and then, oh, here's the clincher. It was like years, like seven years or almost ten years later, I picked up a copy of uh, Astronomy Magazine because I was into, you know, telescopes and stuff like that, just reading about them. And this issue, in fact, I still have it here somewhere, had an article about the new information about our galaxy that they've been able to assemble with all the new probes and telescopes, radio telescopes, you know, all that stuff. It's a barred galaxy. It turns out our galaxy is a barred galaxy. It looked exactly like the thing they showed me. Exactly. And then I, I was like, holy mackerel. You know, I thought that was all baloney because I thought, you know, the barred galaxy was wrong. So therefore everything else was wrong. But it wasn't. It really, they showed me a picture of our barred galaxy before we even knew it was one. So, you know, stuff like that, you know, it's hard to uh, assimilate stuff like that. But I think I'm doing a pretty good job. One more thing I want to talk to you about. All of you were artists, and it seemed your art changed. uh, And even in your case, especially skills. Uh, it seemed you acquired. Could you talk about that? Yeah. Yeah, it's a, another weird thing about this uh, exposure to whatever that was. Um, at the Before we went to the Allagash, uh, I was in art school, and my major was painting, and I was a very traditional painter. M- landscapes is what I was into. Landscapes and still lives, you know setting things up, painting pictures, that kind of stuff. It was very traditional. And immediately, in fact, after the Allagash, I never painted again. I never used paint. Immediately after I came back, I became obsessed with um, mathematics and geometry and trigonometry and uh, four-dimensional physics and all this weird stuff. I don't know where it was coming from, Alejandro, but I was obsessed with it. I started making these constructions out of paper and string and tacks 
and it was three-dimensional math. It was all three-dimensional mathematics. And I was folding paper. Um, I was drawing these mathematical patterns that were based on phi, which is the number 1.618, blah, 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 blah. And I didn't, I didn't understand why. I, I was a, I, I, it was a compulsion. It was weird. And I never painted again. Never. I, I was doing uh, silk screening at the time. And I still kept that up, but all my artwork changed to this mathematical kind of geo geometry, really bizarre, like four-dimensional uh, physics and stuff that I was trying to make my art from. And it was really weird. Alejandro, I almost went crazy because I was making these things constantly. I mean, my whole life became obsessed with this mathematics and and not only just the math but everything uh you ever hear of uh miyamoto musashi sword saint of japan yeah okay well i became obsessed with the geometry of his sword style he had a two two sword style and it was all based on the geometry of the human body's ability and and limits of movement. And like that was another thing I became obsessed with was how Miyamoto Musashi could figure out the geometry and and mathematics of his moves and stuff. It was crazy. It's totally crazy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It absolutely did. Because um uh one of the things it changed was my uh, ability to communicate with people. For some reason, I got into teaching. I wanted to teach. And I was teaching uh, people how to do silk screens and poster art and design using silk screens. And I became really involved in that. Uh, and that was an extension from my time at the graphic workshop in Boston while I was in school. But um, I, I became, here's another weird thing. I suddenly became mechanically adept. Before, I, didn't, I couldn't change a spark plug in a car. And then all of a sudden, it was like, oh, I can fix that. And I could do this stuff. And it goes on today. People, my neighbors, bring me stuff that's broken, like a broken... Uh, uh, air conditioner or something like that and I fix it I've never worked I don't know where this comes from I'll tell you Alejandro it's just like I'm getting known as you know Jack the fix it man he can fix anything I don't know where that came from but it was immediately after that experience where I seemed to develop these interests that I never had before in fact mathematics I hated math I flunked every math course I ever had in my life. And suddenly, I was obsessed with it. In fact, I took a, a course of advanced mathematics at Mass College of Art and aced the class. That's the first time I ever got an A in math in my life. And I don't know where, you know, it was just, it just was pouring out of me. And, it's, and it remains today. I still do very mathematical, geometrical artwork and uh, 
you know, I'm, I want to find out what's going on. But uh, I think I'm closer to the answer. And, and uh, I'll tell you something else, too, is it's people like you that are actually helpful because it allows me to think that, okay, I can tell people this. It's okay to think about it. I'm not nuts. It's okay to think about it. It's okay to try and investigate and get to the bottom of it. And uh, it allows me to contact other people like yourself and maybe learn something that I don't know yet. Like, what am I, when am I going to be ready? You know, I don't. I don't think I am yet. <laughs> That's the hard part is this all of this is so enigmatic that it's almost as if we're just not meant to know. We're meant to experience and maybe we know on some subconscious level that we'll never understand consciously. But um and maybe that's what they're referring to. Um but uh it's difficult because as the years go on and I do this and I interview people, I interact with people or you read books um, people in the past who have been given similar messages have passed away without ever knowing. Yeah, or no change, really. <laughs> I look at the world around us now, and I think, man, we're way off from having unconditional love on this planet. Yeah, that's why Ray Fowler, or Roy Fowler, I have a great respect for him. And everything that he told you, that you've told me he told you, He's a very wise person. I think he's exactly correct in everything that he told you. Ray has been, he's been unbelievably helpful. Very, very helpful and understanding. All right. Thank you very, very much to Jack Wiener. Really neat guy. I love these Wiener brothers and uh, Chuck Fultz too. Really, really cool guys. So we'll have some more information as I set up. We'll have some videos and things like that. Uh, also, if you want to see Chuck Fultz's presentation uh, where he goes through all of this uh, and more, uh, Chuck Fultz actually gets a lot more in-depth than uh these last two interviews because he starts from the beginning of to the end so you'll get to hear more details about their trip out there at the Allagash if you watch the uh, presentation by Chuck Foltz at the IUFOC the International UFO Congress and you can get those at openminds.tv uh, the store if you click the store link you'll find those so yeah really good stuff uh, also uh, you could get all of the the lectures uh, at the store there and uh, all the news that Jason and I talked about at openminds.tv. So a great case. I, I really want to keep reminding people and getting information out about the Allagash case because I don't want it to be forgotten. And I think it's just a really important case that everybody should know about. And these guys are so accessible that they're still here and they're still around, unlike some of the other great cases out there like Betty and Barney Hill where they have passed away. So um I want to keep this this story alive and uh, the mystery um, still looked into and, and keep it fresh in people's memories because it's important stuff. Uh, so stay tuned for more on that. Otherwise, thank you all so much for joining us. Thank you to Caleb Hakes for the opening and closed music. Uh, also, don't forget to watch Spacing Out on our YouTube channel. We had one last week. I got mixed up on when... You know, Maureen was going to be on her trip to Boise, and that actually happened last week. So uh, she will be back in time to do another spacing out this week. So we'll have another one uh, coming out on Friday. 
and uh, into the uh, near future, foreseeable future. We will have those out every Friday, so check that out. Um, otherwise, we'll have a new Open Minds UFO radio next week. I do want to thank Lincoln Tai, who invited me to her annual uh, celebration for the Phoenix Lights at a local movie theater. It always is their biggest theater, and it gets sold out every year. A packed house to watch her documentary on the Phoenix Lights, and then she has some of us lecture afterwards, and that's a lot of fun. Uh, one of the people she had lecture was Travis Walton, and uh, he is doing his own event in November, which is the 40th anniversary of his abduction experience. And in fact, uh, on the for the day of the uh, the 40th anniversary of the event, he will be taking people out to the forest to be at the spot where they saw the UFO at the time they saw the UFO. So this is going to be really cool. You could see what's available thus far at skyfiresummit.com. They'll have more information out there soon. But Linkatai, Travis Walton, and myself We'll all, we'll all be at that event, but we'll also all be at Contact in the Desert. So all three of us will be lecturing there. So you can check out more there about that at Contact in the Desert. Uh, just Google it. Uh, that's going to be like in the last weekend of May. So that'll be a lot of fun. So a lot going on and coming up where you can come hang out with us. We always love to see you. And of course, um, we always love to see you all at the Congress. So thank you all, those of you listeners who were able to make it. I know many others of you wish you could have. And, of course, there will be more in the future. Uh, so hopefully you'll be able to join us. But it was great to see those of you. And we greatly, greatly appreciate when people come up and say, hey, love the radio show um, because uh, or spacing out. Because we put a lot of work into uh, getting all these stories out and getting this information out to you. We love doing it. And, uh you know, we're overjoyed when people are actually um, taking advantage of our hard work and uh, being able to read and listen and watch everything that we do. Thank you so much. So you can see more of everything at openminds.tv. Again, thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next week, people. Adios, muchachos. Your emotion is